Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Snell Nation. Tonight, we're going to talk about drugs. Well, one drug, a very, very specific and very popular drug amongst the masses. And that drug, the drug in question is hopium. And I'm sure um, many of you know what that is. Some may be wondering, okay, well, the heck's this guy talking about? So, <laughs> hopium is what's well, defined as a, as a, um, a false sense of hope or um, a uh, addiction to to hope. And to narrow that focus, the uh, the hopium subset that I'm referring to are the the uh, the political variety. I'm talking about the the messiahs or the political officials that we have turned into messiahs and the political system that we've allowed to transform into an entity with religious connotations. So that's what I'm referring to. And how undeserving this institution is of having such a uh, such a label you know so we'll focus on the presidency that's 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 low hanging fruit um, i believe that's something that uh something we can all easily digest so over the years many many years you can even say over the well century or so We've had presidential candidates come along and presidents come along that would make um, wild claims and, and, and all these campaign promises and promise the world and um, will not only not fulfill those promises, but in a lot of cases do the exact opposite of what they've promised. And this has happened plenty of times. Uh, one example that, you know, from the far, far past that stands out to me would have to be the reelection campaign of uh, President Woodrow Wilson. Uh, some of you that have listened to me in the past know that Woodrow Wilson has a very special place in my heart. By that, I mean, um, uh, when I was asked if I could travel back in time, you know, uh, what time would I go to and why? Um, and I stated I would go back to 1912 and would try to arrest Woodrow Wilson and stop him uh, from doing the dirty deed of making the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 law, which began our path uh, down this uh, wage slave uh, journey that I believe this country has been on. Uh, so that the creation of the central, the central bank cartel, um, the first, the long-standing central bank cartel within the United States. But anyway, that that's that. But for this, I want to focus on his re-election campaign. So, um, in 1915, 1916, he would uh, go on and on and and about how he will bring a. Uh, some some peace and prosperity uh, across the nation and um, the big slogan of 
You know, he he kept us out of war. And that was front and center. That was his that was the slogan, the phrase that pays for him that helped him get reelected was he kept us out of war. And that's what a lot of people ran with. A lot of people had signs up and that was, you know, that was the chance. And that was, you know, the yay and, the, you know, just that positive energy. And, you know, he, he's he's here, you know, our our, <laughs> our Messiah, our political Messiah is here, uh, even though his actual his actions um, reflect uh, something different, not necessarily anything angelic, um, certainly not any anything on the level of a Messiah. But that's what he ran on. So he wins. He wins the 1916 election. And guess what happened in April 1917? Hmm? You want to know what happened? <laughs> the uh, newly reelected President Woodrow Wilson. You know, he goes before a joint session of Congress. He requests a declaration of war against Germany. And by the boom, by the bing, <laughs> we were in it. You know, and uh, of course, his popularity went down, but it, it did matter. It was too late. He was guaranteed to get his two terms, you know, uh, make his mark in, in history, make a little bit of money and then move on. You know, we, another uh, LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson and the Vietnam War. You know, he steps in after uh, JFK is assassinated very suspicious circumstances but he's assassinated lbj steps in um one of his first um speaking engagements he talked about uh how uh, important it is for the united states to to focus on its on its own infrastructure and its own borders and within its own its own contained self-contained issues and to stay out of a lot of the foreign conflicts, namely uh, what was happening in Vietnam at that time. And just a few months after making that statement, you know, there he goes. Hey, you know, <laughs> and we're in it. We're in Vietnam, you know, and there's there's kind of a there's a theme that you'll start to notice here of politicians I know right now the ones I've stated are from the past, long, long time ago. But don't worry, I'll get, I'll get to the present. But each time a political official, and it doesn't matter if it's at the local level, if it's a mayor, you know, if it's at if it's at the state level with the governorship, if it's at the federal level with with the president, members of Congress, whatever, you know, the the trend is the same. When they're running for office, they, they promise the world. They have all these all these grand ideas of how to save everyone and, you know, and will make some pretty amazing claims. And, and with proper marketing, people will eat that up. Now, coming a little closer to the present, we had uh, President Barack Hussein Obama. Who promised an end to, you know, for, foreign conflicts, foreign wars. It's happening in Afghanistan and Iraq at that time. And did he deliver on that? Well, no, there was actually expansions on that. There were thousands and thousands of bombs being dropped all over the Middle East. 
and we can't forget about all those wonderful drone strikes in Pakistan. He promised a uh, a new age of transparency uh, for government that, you know, oh, there's going to be there's a website. You're going to be able to see everything that's happening. And, you know, we're going to declassify all these documents and everything. We want people to know exactly what's going on because we have to win back the trust of the of the nation. And he did the whole, you know, yes, we can and reach back to uh, a lot of slogans from the civil rights era, because when you're running as America's first black president, I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, he was he was guaranteed um, <laughs> 90 to 100 percent of the black vote, because that's just the way we we work in this country, you know, and I watched quite a few people vote for him just because of the fact that he looked a certain way because he looked like them and he did nothing really for the good of that racial group um, and nothing really as far as the, the good of the nation. And when I, when I say that, when I say the nation, I'm talking about the 99 percenters, um, not the 1%, the 1% of the 1%. I'm talking about the us, us grinders, us, us worker bees and, you know, us peasants. Uh, not a whole lot. No, no, not nothing good, really. But he he won. I mean, he he beat McCain uh, pretty good. And then when the time came for his reelection, you know, a lot of the same slogans, a lot of the same things came up um, when he ran against uh, Mitt Romney. And of course, Mitt Romney kind of kind of stuck his foot in his mouth uh, right, right at the end, right at the finish line. And uh, he was reelected, even though he was fa failing the American people on on almost every metric, every every metric that mattered and was failing the racial group that treated him as as a messiah and nearly every metric that matters. And I. I, I was young, but I wasn't that young. I was able to kind of follow the, the course of things. And and I thought it was absolutely amazing how much blind trust and faith was put in this guy. And the belief that he can deliver on all these promises, even though he has no real successful track record, or at least he didn't at that time. His bio, his 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 resume was was the lightest thing I've ever seen out of a out of a political candidate at any level. I mean, it felt like it was just a couple sentences and then just like one sentence or two that mattered and then a whole bunch of fluff about what he did in Chicago, which wasn't much. He was essentially like a, a community organizer. I think the biggest thing he did at that time was, I think, get a name changed at a park or a bridge or something like he didn't really do anything. But he looked the part. He was charismatic and it was it was an easy sell I mean considering what the Republican Party had done up to that point when we're talking about the early 2000s and the all the negativity being hurled at uh, George W. Bush um, because of all the all the mistakes he made and his family in general um, I mean it was an easy sell I could have beaten George W. Bush um, at that time and, and, and 
in 2004 and you know and, and it would have been an easy sell to step in his as his successor in uh in 2008 you know but uh hey he got his two terms in and then it was time for him to move on you know so obama steps in and we had uh expansions on the surveillance state we had the Patriot Act that was going strong at that time and was being uh, instead of it was meant to be a temporary thing and it was supposed to uh, slowly fade away. Right. But no, it just kept being expanded upon and, and grown, solidified, renewed. And it, it just continued on. He promised to close uh, Guantanamo Bay. I mean, that's how did that go? Oh, right. He didn't do that. While he was campaigning, he talked the, the importance of school choice. Him and his VP that is now our president. <laughs> talked about the importance of school choice. And what did he do? Of course, he, he sided with the teachers unions. And it became incredibly hard uh, for minorities and and uh, individuals that are in that lower tier as far as economic status to be able to secure a brighter future for their child or having the option to do so. Because, you know, we, we can't run that risk. We can't have too many people climbing up from the bottom too quickly. You know, we got to We got to keep them, keep them in the ghetto and keep them in the slums for as long as possible. Keep that generational generational curse going strong. So it's interesting. It it really is. And each time, I mean, it just it's like watching a TV show every every season, you know, gets, you know, a solid show gets a bit more interesting each season. And you get to the season finale. There's there's this big dramatic moment, you know, for for us is the presidential election in this country, you know, and Trump is isn't that different. Now, you know, I have to state that in 2016, I, I didn't didn't support him. I actually I voted libertarian, um, but I listened to a lot of the promises, and it was very um, alluring. When you start talking about America first and strengthening our borders and bringing back, uh, you know, they always talk about every candidate talks about bringing back factory jobs, which it's like on a that that's never going to happen, but it does sound good, you know, and growing our economy and just, you know, uh, and also more, more promises about uh, staying away from foreign conflicts, strengthening our foreign, uh, our foreign policy, as well as our domestic policies. You know, it all sounds fine and good, but I still at the time had some, some reservations just mostly based on his personality and the way people reacted to him. You know, some good, some bad. Uh, but I, I had my concerns. And whenever he would make statements that sounded like he was pandering to, to blacks, because there was uh, there have been plenty of politicians that, that played that card, none better than Obama, but plenty, both black and white, that have played that card to make it sound like they were going to make all these investments in minority communities uh, and, and make all these sweeping changes in legislation and de- deregulation and all this kind of stuff that would benefit you know, uh, the 99 percenters, 
Um, and then it ends up, they end up doing the exact opposite or they end up doing nothing and nothing really changes. So Trump comes along and he has his slogan, you know, make America great again, which, you know, I thought was, uh, I thought was fantastic. Um, and his reelection, which he had my full support. And, uh, as I stated in other podcasts, I had a nice healthy list of executive orders, statements he's made, um, a lot of the good things. I think the list came to about 120, 130 of positive things he did that benefited that the nation as a whole benefited from, but that isn't the real, that isn't the main reason why I supported him. You know, I supported him because, um, I believe that he was a bit of a disruptor. I believe that he had a special way of uh, getting people to invest a lot of emotions in the political system and and in him. And when I say uh, invest emotionally, you could say love, you can say hate, but it's still an investment. You know, someone loves something or or someone hates something. um, The feelings are defined differently, but it still signifies a, um, an investment that you're focusing on whatever that thing is, whatever that person is, they have your attention or it has your attention. And that means something. And at the time I felt that's what um, this country really needed more people to sort of uh, wake up and care more about how they're being governed and start asking more questions. And I believe that was his primary function in my eyes. And I think he was successful at that. There were plenty of other issues and, and little hiccups and things here and there. And, of course, you had the orange man bad um, media hate hype train that kind of ran from uh, 2017 all the way through the, the 2020 election. And it was ramped up to 9000 in, in 2020. And, of course, since he's white and um, male, conservative and wealthy, you know, you can just keep playing the you know, he's, he's a racist card and enough people will eat that up. I mean, we, we had media networks that made a living, <clears throat> CNN made a living off of, he was like a cash cow to them. But anyway, let me, let me just, let me get back on course here. So for him, another big slogan was drain the swamp. I mean, people were chanting it all through, uh, all along the campaign trail, you know, it was one of those big promises about drain the swamp, drain the swamp. Um, uh, what was it about Hillary? You know, uh, lock her up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even though I, I, many of us understand that the Clinton family is a, is a crime family, um, kind of the same as the Bushes and, and a lot of other um, families that are entrenched in political power and have a longstanding history in this country. You know, but... Uh, People believed it. They believed like that. This is it. You know, once once he's settled in, you know, he's going to make all these changes and, you know, all these things are going to happen and the government's going to finally be returned to the people. But what actually happened? I mean, we we, that that hopium, I mean, we we took it and we smoked it (laughs) and it was fantastic. (laughs) And like most drugs like opium, it's just a temporary fix. Sooner or later, you're going to come down and you're going to open your eyes and you're not going to recognize where you are or how you got there, but you're there. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened. 
you know, the big slogan of drain, drain the swamp, drain the swamp, drain the swamp. And then you look at the people being nominated and selected in different cabinet positions and, you know, the who's who of the corporate sector and, you know, uh, people from the top defense contracting uh, companies and, you know, like the, the Raytheons and the Boeings and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so it's like, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> The status quo, that's cool. <laughs> you know, the foreign conflicts. Yeah, we're gonna stop foreign wars. We're gonna we're gonna rein that in and you know, and we're gonna focus on you know, America first, America first, you know. Which it sounds fantastic. Looks good on paper and everything. But what what happens when it's time for the application? You know, the actual actions. And that's just not, you know, the, the actions didn't reflect the, uh, the rhetoric. And that's what a lot of this stuff is. It's, it's, it's just rhetoric. But it feels good in the moment. But every time when the hopium wears off and we wake up and we have a, a huge headache and, you know, a hangover and we're just laying in a pile of trash and, and in some back alley and we're looking around and, you know, we promise ourselves, you know, we're never going to let this happen again. We're going to start to pay more attention, ask more questions, uh, be more deliberate in in uh, the choices that we make and make more informed decisions. And then what do we do? You know, we the media and, and the, the marketing machine gets us all hyped up again during another election cycle. And it, we completely because we've been conditioned to have the, uh, the attention span of a goldfish. We just completely forget about what just happened to us and how terrible it was. And then we jump on to the next little uh uh, hopium hype train and we get bamboozled again <laughs> we get we get swindled again you know so i'm really curious what um what they're going to try to sell to us for 2024 you know i think the smart play would be just to you know bring trump back and just have it be trump versus what well, won't be biden but i guess harris or whoever and That'll sell and it will get enough people back on board and get their participation because that's, that's the key word in this this participation because there's a great deal of power and participation, participation in many instances, that's what makes something real. I mean, that's what, what brings it from the intangible to the tangible where you can hold it in your hand, you can feel it in your heart, you can feel it in your soul, it's it's there. It's our participation. And once you've participated in something for so long and you've made such an um, emotional and um, physical and mental investment in it, there's no turning back. You have to see it through. Even though you see, at some point, you have that, um, that self-realization that it's something terrible, or something that's counterproductive or whatever, counterintuitive, whatever. But you made such a big investment. So you have to see it through. And that's what happens in each election cycle. People talk about how terrible it is, present company included. And I've talked about that for years. About how obvious the corruption is. And how little our vote truly matters in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, when there's a run for a Senate seat, 
Um, there's a nomination for a, uh, a Supreme Court justice seat. There's someone running for president, you know, all that stuff. It's hard to not get sucked into it, but I found myself getting pulled right in. And because of my, my past experience with, with speech and debate, it's hard to resist those presidential debates, no matter, even though they've been, they've devolved into just a big fat nothing burger, um, which is what we had with the ridiculous debates in, uh, in 2020, but it's hard to stay away. But the participation is the key. I mean, you can apply that to, to every, every institution, our, our, everything, our monetary system, all of it stands, stands tall and feels real because we keep doing it. Which is why when people talk about, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, the, the government is, you know, essentially a, a corporate entity at this point. You know, big business, big government has become one. There's, you know, the, what can we do? What can we do? And the, the second, you know, the first thing that comes out of the mouths of, at least this has been my experience, that comes out of the mouths of individuals that are disgusted with this are calls for um, violent revolution. And I, and I immediately cut that off and explain to them, like, that's, that's easy. That's the easy route to go. I mean, toddlers do that. When they don't get what they want, they, they hit mommy in the leg or they push daddy or, or whatever because that that leap to violent action, it doesn't take much thought. doesn't take much analysis or anything. You just make the leap. And you commit to it, and that's it. When you talk about nonviolent action, you have to be a bit more strategic. So when people make those statements, I immediately... I cut them off right away and then throw out there. Hey, there are plenty of nonviolent actions that, that you can take in these situations. And that, that goes with the, the political system. Um, it goes with even with all the, you know, vaccine mandates, mask mandates, um, all the lockdown stuff, the unconstitutional lockdowns that happened last year that are still happening in other countries. But here in the U S you know, your participation is what makes that real. Uh, I'm tired of listening to, to, to Fauci or Fraudchi and, you know, all that stuff. He's clearly working with, you know, the corporations and all that stuff. These politicians are, they've taken the side of the corporations. They don't care about us, the people, you know, and the 99 percenters, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. There's 330 million of us. So what do you think would happen if 330 million people went on strike? It's nonviolent. And I'm not talking about went on strike for weeks, but even for just two days. Imagine the message something like that would send. You listen to people complain about Governor Gavin Newsom out in California. There's 40 million people in California. Now, they were able to get, um, I believe, one or two million uh, signatures to uh, activate that, that recall and everything. It sounds like they're heading in the right direction. I'm really hoping Larry Elder is able to pull something off and, and he would be amazing as the governor of California, I believe. Um, but the bar is set so low out there. I mean, a dog could win 
and would still be a better uh, a better option. But but imagine if if even half those people, 20 million people said, you know what, um, I want the lieutenant governor to step step up and I want this governor to resign. And 20 or 30 million people made that decision and said, you know, well, we're not going to do anything. This whole state is going to shut down because we're not we're not going to work. We're just going to sit still. For a week. And no matter how dire our economic situation is in this country, there's plenty of people that could just not go to work for several days and just to send that message. That, hey, this is we understand the power that we have. We understand the power in, in numbers and you're not going to keep us hooked on hopium. We know how we want to be governed, and this is not it. And this is our response. Nonviolent, peaceful, legal. But so many people get so so fixated on actions that were taken in like the 17th century, you know, and it's, I'm sorry, but you're, you're not going to solve 21st century problems with 19th century institutions and 17th century concepts. It's just not going to happen. So just my thought on that angle. But our participation, the monetary system is what it is, uh, primarily because we we participate in it. We, we make it real. But you have things like Bitcoin and, you know, that sort of thing. And. Of course, now the uh, government is expected to start to launch an attack and um, try to uh, demonize and, and, and tax it and send the IRS after, you know, your your bitcoins and uh, all that kind of stuff. And the um, the introduction, uh, I, I would say it'll probably be a forced introduction of the uh, central bank digital currency, CBDC. That's right around the corner. But it'll be it'll be delivered to us in the form of hopium. Um, not everything else is corrupted. Everything else is is hackable and it's not safe. And, you know, we need that. We need something controlled by the central bank and the central bank needs direct access to consumers to make that that transition from the uh, from the public circuit to the private circuit and be more involved in uh, direct uh, commerce, direct banking transactions which will give them ultimate control and the, the ability to just turn off your card if they don't like what you've said or what you've done or if you've been a bad boy or girl and, you know, you can go to the old re-education camp and yada, yada, yada. But, yeah, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I believe that's where we're going with this. And every step of the way, you know, here's your hopium. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> And I, I think fewer and fewer people are, are taking it. And the state worship is, is starting to uh, slowly fade just a hair. Um, but that's kind of the, the trend that you'll see, especially if there's a decline in the traditional um, religions. You know, something else fills that void. It's usually something awful, like, I don't know, statism, you know, something like that. But... Still, this is where we are. And, you know, it's my hope 
that one day, you know, people will collectively, I would say, you know what, individually step back and look at the choices they've made, look at where they are and how they, how they got to that point or how the country got to that point and act accordingly. And the next time a political official makes a bunch of wild promises, whether it be school choice or the, the end of foreign wars, you know, enough people will step forward and call them out. You know, and there's plenty of tactful ways to do that. Like, um, excuse me, Mr. Presidential Candidate. You know, you do know the past eight people, the past eight presidents have made those same promises and they've delivered on none of them. And they've all sided with um, teachers unions and, and corporations and, and their lobbyists. And, you know, we, we have different versions of the Patriot Act, but we, you know, all these different things that, you know, uh, infringe on our liberties and our freedoms and government expansion continues to grow. So there's been no change in decades, really, fundamentally, you know, and here you go making those same promises. Well, we're not going to accept that. And we want it in writing exactly what it is you plan to do. We want to see exactly what it, your plan is to get us there and specifically how it benefits the 99%. I mean, it's it's time for the American people to, um, to cut hopium out. You know, cold, cold turkey, just completely go cold, you know, uh, far away from it. Because things just won't fundamentally change. They'll just they'll continue to get progressively worse for uh, the the middle class and the the working poor and the poor. It'll remain the same. Now, of course, the the wealthy, the rich, you know, a lot of these things don't really impact them because they're they're financially insulated. Regardless of what happens, they have the ability to make adjustments and still make more money or just leave the country altogether easily. I mean, even right now with all these um, lockdowns and, and border shutdowns in other countries, you know, no border shuts down, shutdowns in this country for whatever reason. Um, but you have all that going on, but you still have the, the rich and the wealthy still traveling around, still doing their thing. While us peasants are landlocked and just 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 handcuffed to our desks or to our uh, to our homes or, or whatever. You know, so that's. Just a few of my thoughts, um, just something I found interesting looking back at um, especially World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the Iraq and Afghan uh, wars that I mean, since well, Congress didn't really declare war in those countries. So we shouldn't even really call those wars. Um, I don't know, illegal foreign conflicts, I don't know, whatever, you know, but looking back at those key events and then the things surrounding them, like, you know, the, who was sitting in Congress at that time, who was on the Supreme court at that time, who was president at that time, vice president, you know, the governors of uh, key States. And, you know, you'll see a trend and a pattern and you look at the, um, the, ele the election, uh, the campaigns and the slogans, and you'll see a lot of the same things come up over and over again. Some of the same slogans, the same, I mean, the template is set. And when you see those patterns, I mean, at, at first you'll feel a bit of frustration because you'll feel like you've been tricked for most of your life. And it's true, <laughs> but it's still all very interesting, at least to me. So, hey, 
just some of my thoughts and uh hopefully uh hopefully during this next election cycle that'll be kicking off shortly we'll we'll put down the hopium we'll we'll say no to hopium there we go there's a slogan for you say no to hopium and uh actually focus on reality and see where that takes us so that's my take um i'd love to hear what uh, what the audience thinks um just about how we got to this point and the dangers of just overdosing on hopium <laughs> So please feel free to shoot me a message. You can find me on the uh, Snell Nation Facebook page, Instagram, um, and uh, there's plenty of other places. I'm also on BizFluence now. Um, and uh, you can also message me through the Anchor app. You can leave me a review on um, Apple Podcasts. Just Google Snell Nation. Not hard to find. So with that, thank you for listening in. Snell Nation out.